Hello. Um, happy whatever day you just so happen to be listening to this on. Welcome to episode three of Chicanery. As per usual, it is your host, Danny and JT. Hello. So, another fairly packed show tonight. Um, got quite a bit to get through, but we will start with the IMSA season finale at Petit Le Mans. Uh, that was just wrapped up yesterday evening, so that seems like only the logical place to start. So, take it away, my lovely co-host. So, obviously, Petit Le Mans happened. I mean, some people, I don't know, I talked to some, at least some people on the timeline, some people watched it, some people didn't, but most of everybody was there. We saw it all happen. Um, I mean, I don't know. Good race, I would say, yes, Petit Le Mans is usually always a good race. There's not really any complaint there, I guess, from, like, the standpoint of it being not good. But it was pretty chaotic. Um, I guess some of that I would say was to be expected just because it was the points were pretty close coming into the race, at least in the GTP field. So some of that I was kind of expecting it to be a little bit of a brutal race, a pretty, for lack of a better term, kind of like a bloodbath, melee style. I mean, there was a lot that happened. I'm not even sure if I got it all because I'm like, some of it I did this as the race was still going on to see like somewhat if I could, you know, keep track of it a little bit more. Just so much was going on. There might have been some stuff that I missed, but I think most of it I got, at least the main things. So it started off with the beginning of the race before we even started the race, you know, before we even had the green flag. We had a P3 went off and I think broke like the back of their car, the back wing of it, the rear wing was broken and they had to pit and fix it. Then a P2, Tower Motorsports went off, I think because the tires were cold or something like that. And it was like the track was still somewhat wet because it had been raining. Like I think it might've been raining earlier in the day. I know it had been raining like during like practice and qualifying. So there was some element of that. So yeah, a lot of stuff happened like right before the race even started. And a lot more happened as the race started, as it went on, obviously because it was 10 hours. Um, anything you want to add? Yeah, it's just the P3 and the P2 going off before we even get underway. It really just kind of serves to purpose per, uh, perfectly encapsulate what everybody absolutely despises about these two classes, honestly. Um, you know, yes, it was a little wet, tires were cold, but it's like, it's a, it's the pace laps. It's like, you really mean to tell me you can't keep the car underneath you to get the pace laps done? I don't, um, it, it's just, it's silly. Um, unserious as the kids say. Um, yeah, no, the GT, GTP field was close. It's really closed up here in the last handful of rounds. It, they Almost everybody was m at least mathematically in contention to win the GTP championship, which I did not have that on my IMSA uh, bingo card uh, after Daytona. 
like at all. I was like, okay, well, the, you know, one of the Acuras will absolutely bugger off with the championship. And that's pretty much going to be that. And that is ostensibly the exact opposite of what happened. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was a, I mean, it's, it's Petit Le Mans. It's usually a bit busy, a bit action packed, um, kind of it, I mean, it is every year. Um, so it was, it was busy. It was, it was fun. Um, you know, some of the, um, questionable driving moments, and we'll get to that here shortly, were not great, but broadly, I thought it was a, thought it was a fun race. Yeah, I mean, at least, like, Tower Motorsports, unfortunately, ended up wrecking again when the race started, and pretty badly destroyed their car, where it had to sit in the pits, or at least in the garage for a while before the car was, like, repaired to the point where it was drivable again by the team. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, Tower Motorsports has kind of been a wreckers or checkers team the whole season, like, even, like, going back to the very first race of the season at Daytona, they really didn't start off too well either with their car having some type of mechanical issues within, like, I don't know, might have been the first hour of the race that it happened, but it has, the season has not been going too well for them. So that was unfortunate. Pretty unfortunate, too, also, that Scott McLaughlin, IndyCar driver, was also on that lineup. Same with Kip and Simpson. Um, they were making their debut at Petit Le Mans. I think it's the first time they've done it. Um, and had their entry wrecked pretty early on before they could really do anything. So they were kind of out of contention of the race within, like, I probably not even within the first hour, probably within, like, the first, like, 20 or 30 minutes of the race, unfortunately, for them. Um, but luckily they did get the car back out, and they were able to run pretty much, I think, the rest of the race. However, they were, like, several laps down. So, again, they weren't really in contention. Um, the next big thing that pretty much happened was, like, the number 20 LMP2 creating this massive wreck that ended up, like, basically ruining, like, three cars races, probably two at least. At least I know, like, the number 70 McLaren GTD and the number six Porsche Penske pretty much got involved in that. They were pretty much, like, collateral damage in that wreck. But unfortunately, I mean, apparently the number 20 had been having questionable driving since like last year according to somebody on like twitter so i'm like yeah not too sure what to say about that other than they probably should have been parked for that maybe it's being a little too hard for me but i'm i'm sorry that kind of upset me i was pretty upset to see the number six porsche caught up that early mm -hmm. i agree um and I don't necessarily think it's really all that harsh. Um, Watnam effectively benched. Um, it, like you said, the number 20 has been involved in just something um, basically all season. Um, and it's usually a mess of their own creation. So it's honestly kind of wild that they um, 
have ostensibly gotten away with it. And then, of course, you know, talking, this is where we, you know, we could delve into an hour-long discussion about IMSA race control and its efficacy, or perhaps more accurately, lack thereof. Um, which, speaking of which, I know they tried a new, uh, the same software that uh, other series run. I know they debuted for Petit Le Mans this year, and, uh, well, I didn't notice any difference, so I'm not sure it worked. <laughs> but... <laughs> But, um, yeah, just, yeah, no bueno. Yeah, it was a shame to see, you know, speaking of getting caught up in messes, to see the, uh, uh, another race, another Porsche Penske absolutely annihilated by somebody else. Um, it's, it's a shame. Um, yeah, it's just me. It's just crummy driving. That's really what it boils down to. I mean, it was crazy, too. Like, I think it was Nick Tandy that was the one that was in the car. And, like, he was so mad. Like, he didn't even want to get out of the car, like, initially. I think it was, like, the safety workers that told him that he had to get out of the car. Even when they, like, got the car out of the gravel and, like, put it on the tow truck and towed it back to, like, the garage area, he was, like, over there unstrapping the car himself with the team members. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was. It was very funny, actually, to see uh, tow watch him um, basically act like a child who doesn't want to get out of the sand pit even when their turn is up. He just refused to get up and get out. But yeah, but I understand. Um, it sucks to have your race ended by, you know, a slower class because they can't quite figure out what they're doing. I mean, unfortunately, like, I don't know. The move that that 20 car made was just very questionable because it seemed like he like almost freaked out on the wheel because there was so much traffic around him that was trying to like get through and he didn't like it seemed like they didn't know how to react to it I guess and then like swerved over and completely cut off like the GT car I'm like whatever yeah I mean it's yeah one of the things it's just you know it's what you hear you know I mean hell it's what they talk about even in like virtual leagues you know slower cars you know, be mindful of faster traffic, faster cars, be mindful of slower traffic. You know, you just got to, you know, pay attention, hold your line, and, you know, the faster cars will figure out how to get around you. You know, and if you're, you know, a faster car, you know, you know, certainly, you know, going to make those moves predictably, you know, that's, that's how everybody keeps their noses clean and, you know, tight multi-class racing, you know, I know, you know, I mean, you know, just as well as I do, there are some sections of, you know, road Atlanta that are very, you know, especially in these modern cars, so they get so big, it's narrow. But, you know, if everybody, you know, like I said, again, particularly, you know, slower traffic or, you know, frankly, let's be honest, inexperienced traffic. I mean, you've got, you know, bronze drivers, you know, about the place. Then just be like consistent. It's I don't think it's that hard. I mean, granted, I don't suit up and boot up week in and week out, but. It seems like it should be pretty easy. I mean, I I would think so, especially if you've been racing in the series, like, at least for the whole year. I feel like you would at least know somewhat how to navigate traffic better. Who knows? Uh, the next, I guess, big thing that happened, I guess it was, it was big, but at the same time, kind of not, was... BMW and Cadillac kind of had a little dust up in the pits, a little blunder from them having, I think it was the 31 Cadillac was exiting the pits, and then same with the 25 BMW, both GTP cars, 
the Cadillac 31. I'm not sure who was driving that. I think it was Pippo to Ronnie. And the 25 BMW, I think, was Sheldon Vanderlyn. And I think they both, there was a red light at the end of the pits. And they both were technically running it. But I guess the 31 slammed on the brakes. And then 25 rear-ended them. And then ultimately, they both got a penalty for it. Which, I mean, a lot of people were like, might have been upset about that. But I'm like, I don't know. I kind of understand it just because I'm like, they both were running that red, and if they hadn't have reacted to it, they I both would have still gotten a penalty for running it anyways. It's unfortunate that they just got damage from it, but uh, careless errors on their part, I guess. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Um, I mean, in theory, you would figure they would, you know, somebody somewhere would chatter and, you know particularly, because I do believe it was uh, Durrani, who was in the Cadillac at the time, um, would chatter in his ear and go, you know, your dog, you know, the exit, you know, I mean, it's the red light, so, you know, you gotta sit and you gotta wait. Um, and, I mean, in truth, you told that goes for the BMW, too. Um, but, you know, it reminds me, um, I'll keep this brief, but uh, it was a similar thing in um, Back in uh, Formula One, uh, it was, I think, Raikkonen and Hamilton. Same thing. Pit exit was closed, and Hamilton just drove into the back of him. And Kimmy, uh, after, you know, post-race, you know, debrief said, you know, okay, well, it's a red light. You, you can't run a red light. You get a ticket. You know, in the real world, you know, granted, you don't get a ticket in, you know, um, motor racing, but, you know, you do get a penalty for running that. So just, I, again, I don't know how that flew over, you know, either of their heads to be completely honest um it's just yeah it's just again it's just a silly careless error that just didn't need to happen i don't know to some extent i feel like i like at first when it happened i feel like you could argue that that was kind of where bmw's race was starting to fall off the tracks a little bit because i'm like okay they got they got two penalties which i'm like i think one was for running the red light at the end of the pits and then the second one i think was probably for the contact that they had with the 31 um i'm assuming i don't really know but i don't know <laughs> bmw their race i mean their season has been a little bit questionable in my opinion so, i mean technically like they i want to say that they they sold the championship but i don't I don't quite know because I'm like they had the most podiums out of all the GTP teams. I'm pretty sure, but I mean, I mean, you would think that that would, you know, give them some leeway to have like the locked down, but they didn't. And I think part of it was because just how badly they were in Daytona. Like, unfortunately, just how dog shit their performance was at Daytona, unfortunately had implications for them throughout the whole season. But they were somewhat serious, half serious at Daytona. This, it wouldn't have come down to this at the very last race of the season. But unfortunately for them, that is what played out. I mean, everybody else at Daytona at least showed up to the kitchen with the ingredients and, and somewhat cooked. Either, every, somebody was cooking, some of them were cooking and made some full meals. Some of them cooked 
halfway and stopped cooking the food and got burnt. BMW, unfortunately, they showed up with the ingredients, but were like, fuck it, we don't know how to cook. And they didn't halfway through the race, they were like, you know what? Maybe we should whip out a cookbook or something. Whipped out a cookbook and still were like, yeah, we don't know what we're doing. So unfortunately, that's just how it went for them. Yeah, I, um, yeah, BMW season has been a little topsy-turvy, uh, suffice it to say. Um, and to, or yesterday, as it were, Petit Le Mans was really not the race for them to go cold, um, like, at all. Because, yes, you know, again, start to the season was certainly a bit rough. The BMW was just horrifically slow. But they had worked in, you know, through some combination of, well, tweaking the car, fixing the car. And frankly, just a bit of good old fashioned luck. They had put themselves in a good position to win this thing. And yeah, they just spent the first, yeah, really the first half of the race just floundering. And for no good reason, it's just lots of little unforced errors that just absolutely didn't need to happen when everybody else was more or less on it. So I don't know. Um, you know, I guess, you know, better luck next year is kind of what I, I'll chalk it up to. Um, yeah, I'm hoping this year was encouraging enough that, you know, going forward, you know, it won't give BMW cold feet uh, about moving on because they have been, frankly, had been known to do that when they aren't doing particularly well. BMW will just kind of nope out. So hoping this They'll year was... Rage quit. They'll rage quit GTP after not winning the championship one year. Yeah, well, not even just that, but if just if their season had been, you know, too bad, they might have, you know, rage quit GTP because the car was too slow. Um, I thought there was a real fear of that early in the year, at least. I mean, their car was pretty slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm hoping that the same thing doesn't happen when they do get in the World Endurance Championship, which is also possible that when they get there, the car is also very slow. But <sighs> I don't know. Yeah, it, I don't. I don't know either. We'll we'll see what happens with that going forward. But certainly the progression over the year has been encouraging. Uh, needless to say, like I said, this was just the worst possible moment. The final race of the season with a mathematical shot of winning it all for them to com- completely forget what they're doing. I mean, I know somebody that was like holding out hope, holding out hope that they would be able to past people at like the very end of the race and i'm like i don't think it's gonna happen unfortunately i do not think it's gonna happen because it's like there are already for one there are way too many other gtp cars in front of them they would have to get through which again because the bmw is like a lot slower than a lot of the other gtps it was just not possible and it probably wouldn't have also been possible just because like without having to like get through a bunch of GTP cars at that end of like that part of the race. It's like, and it was already pretty dire. Everybody was kind of just like, yeah, like it was already just so much chaos going on. It's like, you would have to like literally bulldoze through like almost everybody to get to that position. And it's like, that's just not happening because people are not going to give up that those positions that easily. And you're going to end up like binning the car into like the tire barriers trying to fight somebody for like fifth place which is like we don't need to do that yeah exactly um you know certainly i appreciate the optimism of whoever that was 
that thought the BMW would start, you know, making up spots out of nowhere. Um, good for you. I would absolutely love just a tiny slice of that. Um, would make I my day. Intern, <laughs> I get it. I'm like, I get it, but I'm like, it's not happening. It's not yeah, happening. No, it's just it's not not that late in the race. I mean, the field is way too spread out by that point. You're not gonna start clicking off positions. Um, but like I said, just a little bit of an optimism injection from them would be fantastic. <laughs> we gotta give a shout out to the Iron Dames because they were in GTD whooping ass. Yeah, absolutely. I I love to see them do well. Um, you know, they've been, you know, throughout the sort of existence of that team, unfortunately, they've fallen victim to either just, you know, the melee that is uh GT cars, frankly, and unfortunately some intermittent mechanical issues. So to see them finally have just a good day, it, it makes my heart happy. It is one of the few things in this cruel world that brings me a little bit of joy. Continuing on with the series of events that happened in this race, the number 14 Lexus Vassar Sullivan, man, they were very lucky that they had their championship wrapped up by the time the race started or by the time like the first full course yellow happened because they, whoever that was in that car, went off and hit like one of those advertisement signs that are on the side of the track and completely just destroyed the front of the car. I mean, the whole like front of it was just gone. So I'm like, thankfully they had all that wrapped up, locked down because if they hadn't, that would have been very bad for them. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was uh, Barnica that was in the car at the time. Um, but yeah, it was just, yeah, just hatting off and yeah, the splitter just kind of dug into the ground and ripped the whole front end off. And it's just like, goodness gracious, you know, and then you've got, you know, bits of, you know, carbon fiber Lexus everywhere. And, um, and then of course, obviously a stranded, very broken Lexus. So, yeah, I mean, if there was any race to have that kind of an air, yeah, do it when the one, when you've already got the championship locked up, I mean, mine as well. <laughs> Cause I mean, really, I didn't even need to be there. Um, yesterday but goodness me next thing we had was the porsche penske number six got i don't know i don't think anything happened to the car nobody touched the car that time i was i think it was lawrence van tour was in the car lost it on his own went off in the grass hit the back like hit the tire or something and the back was messed up and at that point uh the car was just done it was retired the team was probably like yeah we literally had to like rebuild the whole car again after that first incident we're not doing it again or maybe we ran out of scrap parts i don't know i mean personally i already knew that the number six was probably going to end the race on the back of a tow truck just not like that because the people that they had on that lineup the drivers were pretty aggressive drivers so i'm like mm -hmm. i would have suspected that they would have you know destroyed the car at least fighting for a position with somebody, but no. Yeah, I mean, truth be told, just to get get it fixed in the first place, it reminded me of, um, I think it was Le Mans, like 2007, where the uh, the Audi R8 got caught up in a, an incident, and they went, the boys in the garage went to work and fixed that car and got it back out. 
Now, of course, that story had a happy ending because they would end up taking the overall win. We did not get that here, but <clears throat> it was still a holy crap. You guys got that fixed remarkably quickly uh, to get the car back out and up to speed. But yeah, yeah, he just yeah, just lost it on his own. And that was that was it. Um, and truth be told, if I had fixed that car once already, I would not want to fix it again. Although I think the reality was is that they just ran out of spare parts. Um, I mean, they do bring a limited amount to each round. Um, and the car had been through a pretty heavy shunt already. So, so yeah, hey-ho. Like, they only had, like, what? They probably only had, like, two, like, spare rear wings or something like that. It's like they already had to replace the first one. With the first incident that happened, and then the next incident that happened, it was it got fucked up again. It's like, yeah, we don't have any more. We ran out of parts. We literally physically cannot repair the scar. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, if you're out of bits, you're out of bits, and there's just nothing you can do. Um, so it's a shame. Um, I don't know, Penske, Porsche, some combination thereof. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll sit all their drivers down at the season and is over and go, okay, can we not do this next year? I mean, I get it. Like the first, the first incident wasn't really their fault. It I mean, was the they were just collateral damage. They just got caught up. I mean, the second incident, however, though, was kind of on them. Yeah, absolutely. And they had had a few incidents where it was just uh, throughout the season where it was just incidents completely on their own because, as you had already pointed out, the number six had a uh, very uh, sendy uh, driver lineup. So. They are, you know, very fast, but uh, prone to an accident every now and again. The next thing that happened was probably, like, the biggest thing of the whole race, I guess you could say. Or you could make that argument. was, like, the Wayne Taylor Racing Acura and the 31 Cadillac. I think by that time, there was only, like, or realistically, there were only about, like, three GTP teams that were actually in contention for winning the championship. And those two just happened to be in it they were going at it in like the first turn i think it was um there's some controversy whether or not it was pippo Durrani and philippe albuquerque there was a bit of debate on whether or not what pippo Durrani did was like okay or if that was just like a bad move it was dirty that you know he ran him too wide to the curbing if race control reviewed it and they said no action, just a racing incident. Yeah, well, this is one of those where worlds collide sort of things, where one IMSA race control has a, a there has been a precedent set of some uh, aggressive driving and what most folks would call, you know, at minimum questionable, but it has zero action taken from race control. I mean, we've seen it time and time and time again, where it's like, are you sure that was a racing incident? Like, are you absolutely positive? And then the other half of that is that Pippo has gained a reputation um, for uh, very spirited driving, you know, even dating back to when he was uh, in Honda's uh, driver program. And I think a lot of people remember that and ergo aren't as willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Oh, yeah, he's definitely a passionate driver. You could say <laughs> that. Um, I mean... For those of you who don't know, Philippe did say he was okay. The team and himself did say that after he was taken to the hospital, he was fine. Uh, he did say he was like, I, I think like a little bit sore, but he was okay, luckily. 
Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't really agree with the no action part. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I get it's like at that point in the race, things get kind of heated and people are just going at it. But I'm like, eh, might have been a little bit dirty to do that. I mean, I know some people mentioned that it's not necessarily the best way to try and pass somebody at a big race on going around the outside. But uh, I don't know how to feel about that. I mean, honestly, I don't like I was absolutely not rooting for Acura either one of them, whether it be Wayne Taylor Racing or Meyer Shank, I was absolutely not rooting for any of them to win the championship. I was hoping on their downfall the entire race. So I'm glad they didn't win it. I'm also glad Philippe is okay, but I don't really know how to feel about that. Yeah, it was, it was a big hit. Um, that he took um yeah i'm certainly i'm glad he's okay i mean in like i said it was always likely to devolve into a bit of a dog fight between particularly the 10 and the uh the 31 um because i mean it was basically everything was on the line this race you know i'd like i said i completely agree i do not agree with the with race control just going eh, it's fine because i don't think that was fine uh not at all um but i all's well i guess I I don't know, you know, maybe they're you know in the off season we need to devote an episode to just talking about IMSA uh, race control because I think we could fill the time. But I yeah I just I don't know, you know, questionable stewarding be questionable I guess. And then the race concluded under yellow, unfortunately, due to like a Porsche GTD catching on fire somehow. I think there was like looking back, there was like a lot of. There was like just a melee of GT cars, like the final lap, like in like the final turn. It was kind of crazy, but that's what happened. I'm not even sure how that fire started actually, because it seemed like it just started with they made contact with somebody, and then all of a sudden, like the car just burst into flames due to like a puncture or something, which I don't know. Again, it was very questionable. I'm not sure really how it happened, but it happened. Um, I didn't like the fact that the race ended our caution, but kind of another it is what it is because the alternative to that would be IMSA implementing some sort of green-white checkers or like red flagging bullshit. And it's like, we don't really need that because that would absolutely send me off the deep end if they did that. So I'm like, I already don't like green-white checkers and NASCAR and the overtime. I, I just think it's it's horrible. Like it's just horrible, and it's artificially extending the race when it is technically supposed to be over, but not over. When it's like, yeah, Petit Le Mans is supposed to be ten hours, and it was ten hours. It ended under yellow, but somehow, like sometimes it's just the way it is, and you can't really change that. That's if it ended under yellow, it ended under yellow. That's just the organic, natural finish of the race because. As much as I don't like it, that's how racing is sometimes. Racing doesn't always go the way you want it to. It's not always going to end perfectly. So Shank Racing did win the champion, or they didn't win the championship, but they won the race. And then the 31 Cadillac won the championship. So Shank Racing won the battle, but the 31 Cadillac won the war. <laughs> 
Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I I agree. I'd much rather it just, you know, end under yellow. I mean, it's always a very uh, deflating way to end a race. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong. But yeah, if, if we get to the point where IMSA starts doing effectively, you know, overtime finishes, I'm going to lose my mind. Um, that would 1000% be my uh, my uh, Joker moment is watching IMSA do, uh, you know, an overtime finish. It's like, no, just don't. Yeah, it was a shame to end under yellow, but. I'm not going to speak too loud on that because next thing you know, because IMSA is owned by NASCAR. So next thing we know, if a bunch of people start complaining about it, don't do it. I think that's exactly how we ended up getting the green, white checkers and NASCAR anyways, because so many people complained and they finally were like, okay, we're going to do it. And now it's like, look at where we're at. This fucking sucks. Yeah. I was just about to say, yeah, overtime and NASCAR is absolute garbage too. Um, you know, I miss, you know, what green, white checkers used to mean, not, you know, this, you know, overtime malarkey, but, um, but I mean, whatever it, like I said, it is what it is. Um, you know, certainly it was a shame that the right Porsche ended in a, you know, fireball. Um, and it was a shame that the race, uh, ended under yellow, but you know, it's just, that's, uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. So, you know, hopefully next year it'll run green all the way through, but if it doesn't, then it, uh, well, it doesn't. There are some shady tweets from drivers, at least like after the fact. At least, at least one driver I saw. I think it was Connor D. Filippi, quote tweeting like the somebody talking about like the last like hour of the race incident with the thirty-one Cadillac and the number ten. I guess like probably not too pleased with the fact that they was like they said no action. And saying, and I quote, but we get a drive through when us and the 31 miss the pit exit light and then accidentally touch them when they slam on the brakes. Hashtag leave a car with with the laughing emoji. Yeah, no, that's some real. Um, I, I, I desperately, you know, I know he won't. Um, most of those drivers are consummate professionals, um, but it is like when occasionally we get just these little rumblings that kind of bubble through to the surface, it's like, oh, please, for the love of everything, spill that tea, please. Again, he won't. But yes, clearly he feels uh, a bit aggrieved by the way, um, basically by the way the GTP fight, title fight shook out. Um, but like I said, I want, uh, I want more. And of course, I haven't forgotten that he speared off the uh, Corvette at Daytona because he was in the, the car for that final stint. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> it was officially announced, like probably like a might have been a week ago, a few days ago. But Meyer Shank Racing is officially putting their IMSA program on pause. Can't say that they're ending it. I don't think they're necessarily ending it. They're just putting it on pause. Um, I mean, not too shocking. The writing was on the wall for a while now so again not really surprised um i guess there is some speculation that when they do return to imsa are they going to go with acura and honda again or if like because of that whole cheating thing um if that again it's likely that their relationship with honda was pretty like was damaged after that um so it's like our is like is that still plausible like well 
they even do they even have a good enough relationship with Honda to go back with them? I mean, I don't think Honda is that petty, but who knows? Yeah, I I don't know. I you know we talked a little bit about this um, on an earlier episode, but it, it it's so weird. It, you know the the way it is being has been presented is that um, is that uh, Meyer Shank they're ostensibly they're putting all of their eggs in the IndyCar basket, and you know certainly if you are like the most casual observers, you go okay one cool you know one program with you know full resources as opposed to splitting however you know if you follow racing even a bit you you are acutely aware of the fact that you know Meyer Shank in IMSA is and has been for a long time something of a powerhouse whereas the Meyer Shank IndyCar program has sort of vacillated between being abjectly horrible and occasionally competitive. Um, it seems like this is the absolute wrong way to do this. You know, you know, I can't, I'm well, truth be told, I'm not really sure which is more lucrative. You know, IndyCar still hasn't recovered from, you know, 20 years of infighting and needless to say that sports car racing is certainly not as popular as uh, it has been, uh, certainly not here in the United States. So, I mean, you know, the money thing and, you know, shrug, I don't know. But, um, yeah, it certainly, it seems, certainly seems like they're going the wrong way on the face of it. And I wondered if perhaps, um, if uh, just the issue with the conclusion of Daytona and the fact that effectively HPD ratted them out of all people um, has something to do with this uh, shift in focus. Um, you know, I mean, this is purely conjecture. I don't actually know what the answer to that question is, but... It's something that I've been kind of chewing on for the last few weeks since they announced the change. I mean, Honda essentially self-reported. They reported their own car. Um, I guess, it's, again, it'd be kind of awkward. It's like, oh, yeah, we, we caught you cheating. And it's like, okay, what are we going to do here now? I don't know. Yeah, Maybe their IndyCar program will be better somewhat if they are focusing solely on that now. I don't actually know, though, because, again, I don't really think, I don't really see there being any change within, like, a year. Like, obviously, probably not. Like, it'd probably be a lot slower, but who knows? Yeah, I don't, like I said, I don't I don't know what's going on, uh, what's going on with that. Yeah, I mean, it'll certainly take a few years for, um, to, for us to see any real returns on the, um, well, the newfound investment in the IndyCar program. But like I said, I just can't help but feel that, like I said, A, the move away from IMSA certainly has something to do with the um, nonsense uh, at Daytona. Yeah, honestly, mostly that. Um, and yes, and the subsequent optics of which. Um, and like I said, I feel like it is just being, like I said, sort of, I feel like somebody somewhere is being a bit disingenuous about sort of the uh, the motives for the switch. I guess is probably the best way I can think to phrase that. I mean, I feel like there's probably no. I mean, it's not like somebody 
is going to like come out and be like, yeah, we're switching because we were caught cheating and we're cheaters and we need to distance ourselves from this in yeah. order to, you know, have some sort of damage control, I guess, for lack of a better term. And, you know, repair our reputation or something. It's like, nobody's mm-hmm. going to, nobody's going to say that. And then it's like, I mean, everybody, everybody on the team was probably in on it too. I mean, what? I mean, I mean, may not be everybody, but I know at least a lot, a good handful of them had to know. I mean, I know if the more people you tell, the harder it is to like keep it secret, but I'm sure everybody knew. Hell, I'm sure the drivers knew at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be surprised, uh, certainly, if they didn't. And yeah, you know, I certainly don't expect for um, anybody to, well, frankly, be honest about the 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 switch, the change. Um, but that being said, you know, folks do talk. And, you know, even if it just comes in uh, in the form of um, thinly veiled rumor mill, uh, you do get some folks chatting. Um, about sort of the change. And I haven't heard a whole lot of that. So, you know, I'm either folks are really terrified of whatever that NDA um, comprises of. It'll come out as like a a fucking like Reddit post or something within like a few months or a year. So somebody posting on Reddit and it'll just be like them spilling something. I don't know. Uh, To be honest, I feel like the team that should have cheated should have been BMW of all GTP teams. I mean, shit. What do you have to lose at that point? You have the slowest car out of the whole field. They got outperformed. They were being outperformed by the other, like, customer Porsche 963s. They were being outperformed by the Proton Porsche. They finished the head of both BMWs. It's like, y'all should have cheated, truthfully. I mean, if anything. I mean, if you, I, I get I mean, Meyer Shank cheated but they cheated and won so it's like if you're gonna cheat then you might as well cheat and get something out of that yeah honestly i i think the i think you're on something there um yeah it was yeah bmw had such a torrid time at the uh at daytona this year you know that truth be told it might have helped them just a little bit uh save face from all of that but yeah i mean you know certainly meyer shank the you know you know, if you ain't cheating, you ain't winning. They well clearly took that very, very literally. Um, and you know, good on them, I suppose. But you know, you know, of course, you know, at what cost? You know, because I did not expect, like I said, of all places, you know, Honda Performance Development to be the ones to blow the lid on that. It's like, how are you going to get outed by the manufacturer? I mean, to be fair, they probably had to out them because if they didn't, it would have looked really poorly on Honda if they were able to get away with cheating with some of the team that is, you know, their manufacturer. Like, it would have looked really badly because I've been like, oh, like, again, they're biased. You let them get away with it because they use your freaking engines. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that that Cadillac wouldn't have let that happen to them. They'd have taken that. Mark Royce would have taken that to the grave with him. But <laughs> I mean, especially if it's a race as big as Daytona, it's like mm-hmm. no, I wouldn't say anything. Yeah, yeah. Truth be told, if you know BMW had to cheat in the one, I don't think they'd have said anything either. <laughs> but... Another team that's technically packing up is Corvette. Corvette GTD, or at least they're ending their factory program, I think. Which unfortunately, yeah. their race didn't go too well either. 
they, I think the car just died, apparently is what it looked like. They didn't really run into anybody, they didn't hit anything, the car just stopped working, which is like really unfortunate, it was kind of sad for them that they had to go out like that, the checkered flag flew very early for them, but it yeah. happened. Yeah, it was. It was an engine failure, um, which is such a shame. The LT6R has been basically bomb-proof for the last couple of years. And then their final race, the final race of, you know, the factory Corvette program, and it goes pop um, while they're leading the class, no less. Um, just, huh, that, that sucks. Um, you know, I... You know, I'll be that, you know, meme of, you know, crying myself to sleep because Corvette racing is gone because well, that was what got me into sports car racing, you know, 20 years ago at this point. Um, so it is a real bummer <laughs> to see the factory program ending. I mean, we will still have, you know, in the new GT class, we'll have we will still have Corvettes. It'll be the new Z06R. But um, but it's like, please. My, you know, bright yellow boys don't leave me. So, I don't know. I have to buy like a diecast or something and sit it on my desk for prosperity's sake. Actually, I really should do that. Yeah, you should do it. <laughs> After we're done recording, I'm gonna go and uh, go hunt one down. <laughs> Another team that's technically going through a change from this season to next season is the Fast Porsche. They are switching to McLaren. And it will no longer be a Porsche, and it won't be plaid, apparently. Or at least I think, like what they said at Petit Le Mans, that there's there might be like some plaid on the McLaren, but it's not gonna be like the whole thing, like the Porsche is, which is kind of sad. A lot of people were pretty sad about that, me, me included, because I'm like, it's it's just so iconic. It's like it's the most unique car on the whole grid. It's like you can't you can't replace it. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's a shame, um, you know, to certainly at least move away from the plaid. Um, hmm, pardon me. I understand why um, certainly um, with all of the rigmarole around the Porsche GT cars this season and BOP and, you know, these cars are terrible. I can understand wanting to make the jump from Porsche to uh Porsche to McLaren because well the 720s GT3s aren't half bad, but um, yeah, losing the plaid is just kind of a shame. Like, is it really fat if it's not plaid? I don't think so. If I'm being perfectly honest, I don't know. Maybe they'll do something fun. Maybe it'll be like, uh, maybe the car will be like tweed patterned or something. I don't know. That could be fun. But if you're not going to be plaid, I think they at least need to keep a funky. Uh, vinyl pattern on the car of some description. No, because somebody was like, oh, they should make it papaya plaid. I'm like, they're not going to do that. Oh, absolutely not. As cool as it would be, that is absolutely not happening. You know, I'm all for, like, just going out with crazy-ass liveries, you know, just make it the most unique standout car on the whole grid. That way nobody can ignore it. Yeah, actually, it just occurred to me between the death of the Corvette factory program and the effective vacation of the FAF were two of the most iconic, visually two of the most iconic cars on the IMSA grid are going away. I mean, at least That's we have like the, the other Porsche, the Rexy, which is like also very like stark. But well, that's I true. But I, I always preferred um, 
I always prefer the uh, the fat plaid um, to Rexy, but that is a good point. But still, all right, folks, uh, in the off season, you guys are going to need to come up with fun liveries because that's mildly depressing to think about. I mean, I get, I get why they were probably leaving the portion just because, again, the BOP, because at least at like Daytona, the BOP was horrible for the Porsche GTs. It was awful. Like, they were barely, like, it seemed like they couldn't do anything. Like, I don't know. And then Sebring. Sebring was a little bit better, but it wasn't without, you know, having, like, a knockdown drag out with IMSA, trying to get them to allow them to change it, which I'm like, I probably see why you probably don't want to have to, like, you don't want to go through the energy to deal with all that every single time you go to a race, especially big races such as Daytona or Sebring or Petit Le Mans. So I kind of get it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I understand. Like I said, I understand what's prompting the, the switch. But yeah, like I said, it's a shame to, if, if at the very least, lose the plat. Next topic is the F1 Qatar GP. We're going to do a race review on that. It did happen a while ago, but uh, why not? Because there was at least some eventful stuff that happened that race, or at least the beginning of it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, first of all, you know, I mean, we knew this was going to happen. Um, it felt basically inevitable since the start of the year. But at the uh, in the sprint race, Max formally uh, locked up the uh, championship. So he is now a three-time uh, world drivers champion. So uh, GG Max, uh, they were he was absolutely indomitable this season. So uh, well, I think he's earned it. <laughs> I know there was a lot of, I guess, talk about just how like physically exhausted the drivers were after like the race even some drivers apparently getting sick during the race like throwing up it's like that's not really good to see you don't want to see that uh you know logan Sargent retired from the race early because he was not feeling well i know like a lot of some people were like uh he's weak or whatever um, me personally i think that was good for him to do that um and it was good for Williams to allow him to do that, allow him to retire from the race with no shame, no guilt or anything like that. Um, but I do think that was good. Cause like you don't really want people being like sick or not feeling well when they're on the track with other people and could potentially cause, you know, potentially be a hazard for themselves and other people on the track. You know, people blacking out within like, the turns or whatever, like going into the corners, like that's not good. You might end up having that driver get hurt or and then have them hurt other people. So a lot of, despite what some other folks might've been saying, I think that was a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah, it was a, just an, an absolute, Qatar was just an absolute nightmare. Um, it's so weird. Um, it was just the perfect sort of confluence of, uh, heat, humidity, because it was, uh, from everything I understand, it was unseasonably humid. 
um, at the circuit this year. And then also just some of the lingering effects from uh, the Japanese Grand Prix. I know a few drivers already weren't feeling all that great prior to. And yeah, it just it turned it into an absolute nightmare because, yeah, Esteban uh, Akon, yeah, vomited in his helmet a couple of times. Um, Stroll, said, Stroll said that he felt himself slipping in and out of consciousness a few times just in corners throughout the race. Um, uh, Alex Albon was not feeling great. Neither was uh, Alonzo. Uh, and the list just kind of goes on. Yeah, Logan just parked it. Um <laughs> and said bugger it we're not we're not doing this um yeah it was just like i said an absolute nightmare um some some of it i also think had to do with uh because uh the grand prix the circuit was resurfaced uh in the off season so grip levels were a bit higher too um and i just i think you put it all together and this was just the perfect storm for um just drivers having an absolutely miserable time um yeah i mean you know of course you know we uh we stand driver safety in this house um it is absolutely important to figure out you know figure out what exactly the confluence of factors are you know the fia even though they do have access to um real-time medical data that is not something uh, of each driver that's not something they that they uh release publicly um they don't do the fun like heart rate cam that nascar does sometimes um, but they have, they do have access to all of this information. Um, and I know, um, everything I've heard suggests that the, uh, GPDA, uh, the Grand Prix Drivers Association will be convening here, uh, between rounds to figure out how do we prevent this. Um, the FIA said that already said that they were going to take action to keep something like this from happening again. Um, and to be fair, next year's date is set for later in the year when it should be cooler anyway. So we shouldn't see a repeat, but um, yeah, just an absolute, yeah, just a mess. This was one of those things where, you know, this level of, you know, just universally across the board drivers feeling like garbage was not something that uh, I think anybody expected heading into the weekend um, because Friday practice, Saturday quality, Saturday sprint went off basically as usual. Yeah, and then some of the, I guess, some of the responsive, responses that I've seen from some of the F1 pundits, I just wasn't really feeling it. I don't think, like, what some of them are saying was just like, oh, it, it's, I think it, it was Martin Brundle who was all like, oh, it's it's a weak mindset to think that, oh, that drivers shouldn't, you know, continue and just push through, you know, not feeling well, and it's like, Please be for real. Like, please be so for real. It's like some of these people, I swear, it's like they will scream, cry, throw up, literally start convulsing if they don't see drivers like so physically ill after a race that they're that they can barely get out of the car under their own power, or you know, they're being, you know hooked up to IVs or they're passing out in the medical center or for God's sake, they're leaving the racetrack in a body bag. It's like they, it's like, that's what they want. It's like, it just feels so like, I mean, it feels like you're glorifying people's suffering, which is like, there's no glory in suffering. It's suffering. It's not good. It's not 
you know, pretty, it, it sucks. It's, it's horrible to go through that. And for them to just be like, oh, well, it's, it's, it is what it is. That's how, you know, that, that's how it is. Like the drivers are heroes for going through that. And it's like, what? Like, do you hear yourself? I mean, isn't Will Buxton was kind of over there saying the same thing. And it's like, like, again, do you hear yourself? Like that, that is mental to say that. And it's like, and some of it, like Martin Brundle, it's like, it sounded like how a lot of other like older people will be like, well, back in my day, it's like, yeah, that's the thing. Back in your day, we are in 2023 now. This same stuff that you were experiencing back in your day, however long it was, back in like what the 1960s, 70s, that's not happening anymore. We are in 2023 and we need to act like it and not like be so stuck on this and think that, oh, like people caring about the safety and the well being of drivers is somehow weak. Yeah, I just. Well, frankly, Will Buxton is just an idiot and nothing he says is to even be remotely taken seriously. So we'll start there. But I guess Martin shouldn't surprise me, but it disappoints me. It's like, Martin, you crashed and you broke your fucking legs. You came back from injury too soon and it ruined your career. And it's the reason why you are the history books have classified you as an also ran, even though truth be told, certainly, you know, before his injury, he was actually reasonably competitive. But yeah, that horrific crash effectively ended your career. You know, that's the level of mindset effectively that you are glorifying. You know, is the one that scuppered any chance you had at a, basically at a decent crack at F1, effectively. You know, it's like you raced in the 80s and 90s. You watched your fellow drivers die. I don't, you know, and a lot of those men, he's like, you called your friend. I, I do not understand the, um... I just I don't understand the 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 glorification of basically the absolute suffering and misery. It's like I don't understand how you can stand, you know, and you know pat, you know, Sir Jackie Stewart on the back, one of the biggest champions for safety that F1 has ever seen even through till today. And then call the drivers, you know, weak because they were, you know, a few of them were blacking out in the car. It's not something that makes sense. And like I said, this is something that should not be taken seriously by anybody. Um, you know, thankfully, you know, certainly anybody in any position of authority has uh, utterly discarded that and is looking, is actively pursuing methods to prevent this from happening in the future. But it's still one of those things that is slightly worrying to still hear coming from, you know, pundits in, yes, in, you know, 2023. I mean, then some of the people that he was, like, listing off in his tweet were people that either, like, did die during, like, a race or they had, like, near-death experiences. And it's like, what? Like, I don't know. It was just, I mean, I already did not have a favorable opinion of Martin Brundle 
as it is, as it stood, and it just that just made me dislike him more. Yeah, agreed. I like I said I don't don't much care for uh, Martin like at all. Um, you know, I can appreciate when he was in you know the the race uh, commentary box, you know, way back when because it was honestly, I mean, it was good. Um. And him being, you know, alongside, you know, the late great, you know, Murray Walker, it was, you know, certainly it was, a, it was a hell of a combo. But, but yeah, I just, it's just, it's so weird to, to still be hyping up that era of racing and all of the, you know, sacrifices, including those, frankly, those, uh, you know, written in blood from thirty years ago. Like that's the part that I we should be actively pushing to leave behind. You know, we can still have, you know, the racing, we can still have, you know, the storylines throughout a season, but we can do it without having, you know, twenty drivers all go, Wow, well that was absolutely miserable. Can we never do that again? Yeah. The next thing was the George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, lap one, turn one incident that happened. I feel like I probably should have started with that, but it is what it is. Uh, I know that caused a lot of discussion as well on social media. Some people are like, no, it was George's fault, because George is always known for making terroristic moves on the racetrack. You know, people calling him freaking Russell Bin Laden or whatever I've seen. Um, and some people were like, no, it was Lewis, because that move that he made was never going to work in the first place, because there, was, was there wasn't enough space. And quite frankly, unfortunately, I think it was Lewis was more at fault, because, again, there was that move was kind of questionable, with there being, like, what, two other cars there. But I don't know. Hopefully I don't get torn apart for that, because I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Lewis's fault. Uh, apparently the FIA is, like, doing more investigation on that for Lewis, I guess, walking across the track while it was still, like, active, and it's like, okay, I don't really see the point of that, considering the fact that other drivers have done it, notably Verstappen has done it, he's walked across the track while it's still active after getting involved in a wreck, um, so I don't really know why the FIA feels that that's necessary to investigate that uh, i really just don't think it's necessary i think they're just the fia being the fia yeah basically so the fia is and frankly treated lewis like garbage his whole career let's be honest um so that's you know them investigating a, something fairly innocuous is that's just on par for the fia um, but yeah, Lewis, and to be fair, in a lot of the post-race stuff, um, he took responsibility for the incident and he was like, it was a bad move. That was my fault. Um, I can certainly understand wanting to put that on, uh, George, because yes, George has a habit of habit of, you know, throwing, making some of the worst moves, throwing some of the just nastiest blocks that you've ever seen, you know, that wipes out multiple cars. There is a historical precedent for it, but I don't actually think it was him this time. I just think it was a kind of a goofy move from Lewis. And I mean, well, it ended his race, so it kind of put pay to that. So, you know, this was one of those problems that solves itself uh, types of deals. Uh, you know, truth be told, I think Lewis has kind of checked out on this season because he's making more mistakes that are not characteristic of him. But 
that is a that is a discussion for a different day. Yeah, so I guess to wrap up the F1 segment is, you know, apparently the World Endurance Championship is supposed to be racing here at the same circuit starting next season. I think it might be the first race of their season come 2024. And I guess thinking about what potential improvements they could do to the track before they do come here, because I truthfully think that if they don't do any sort of improvements that the race might be pretty bad unfortunately and i don't i wouldn't want it to be a bad race considering the fact that i think it's supposed to be the first race of the season it's like yeah i don't really think that's that's good for the series to start off on a bad foot start off with a really bad race so i don't know i know the track again it was repaved recently resurfaced and the tire wear is kind of crazy so i'm like eh, that might cause some problems for sports cars i don't really know yeah that's a good question um i certainly think it would be worth um the fia's while to have a look and see if there's something that they can do before um before wec rolls around next year you know now whether or not they actually do anything kind of i mean that remains to be seen um i certainly hope they do um uh, because yeah because the crazy crazy the crazy tire dig is um that's a problem um i mean so much so that they basically enforced um multiple stops for this race and um that won't bode well um for uh sports cars next year so we'll see i don't truth be told i don't really know other than maybe dealing with the surface you know maybe i don't know if it needs to be you know ground down a little bit to help with that i don't know what the solution is to fixing it but I mean, well, what wasn't everybody in like F one at least? Like I think most most teams opted to go for either like mediums or hards. I don't think I don't think anybody really went with softs. No, um, but you I mean you couldn't because I mean yeah you'd get you know what five laps out of a, a set of softs with the way the surface was. Um, no, you would basically you'd have to run on the harder compounds to get any sort of life out of them. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I don't know what the answer to that is. You know, thankfully, the FIA pays a bunch of folks an absurd amount of money to figure these things out. So that is not my responsibility. But but yeah, but the surface, I think, is really is the main issue. Um, and I, you know, I mean, the, you know, the uh, sports cars, I mean, certainly they're heavier. Um, they're heavier, they're draggier. So they'll beat the tar up out of their tires on the surface. So we'll just have to kind of see what happens. So, we are going to start a new segment for this podcast. Might be, you know, occasionally we do it. Might not be every episode, depending on what's going on or what there is to talk about. But it's titled, Let's Start a Dialogue, where it's basically where we just find some random topics in motorsports. Doesn't have to be anything specific, just motorsports related to rant about. 
And I don't know about y'all, but I love ranting. I love going on rants sometimes because sometimes I just need to do it. And it feels good to rant a lot of times. So the first thing that I'm going to rant about is something that I saw today, at least, was that apparently IMSA wasn't eligible for super license points this season for, like, I think it said it was GTP and then GTLM, which shows how little the FI really cares about IMSA because it is no longer called GTLM anymore. GTLM has been gone for at least, like, what, two years now, two, three years, and it's now GTD and GTD Pro, which I'm like, apparently it's not eligible, which their reasoning being because the road, like the races that they race on or the tracks that they go to are not FIA homologated, which basically means the tracks are not FIA approved. So therefore they're like, oh, no, sorry, no points for you. Despite the fact that they do give out points for racing in the World Endurance Championship and racing a hypercar, which basically hypercars and GTPs are essentially the same cars. They just kind of have different setups and race in different series, obviously, but clearly the FIA has a bias towards giving out points towards series that are sanctioned by them, which I'm like, I'm not shocked because there's a karting series for fuck's sake that gives out more super license points than they do for IMSA, which I'm like, it's just kind of unacceptable because it's like you're basically cheating a lot of people out of points that they spent a lot of time busting their ass for all season just for the FIA to be like, no, sorry, no points for you. Like, it's just ridiculous in my opinion. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I... And the one thing that I'm going to point out really quick is that if I remember correctly, they do hand out super license. FIA does hand out super license points for Indy. Indy runs they a lot do. of the same style of circuits that IMSA runs on. I mean, that's what happens when you basically run all your races within the lower 48. You have some cross-pollination. And as such, none of those are FIA grade one either. So I don't understand what the difference is other than FIA is going to FIA. I mean, it's kind of crazy too, because they're, they've apparently saying that like Daytona, Daytona International Speedway is not FIA homologated and therefore it's not really worth anything to them, which is like, that's, that, it's kind of shitty considering the fact that Daytona runs one of like the biggest sports car races like ever, like the Daytona Rolex 24. It's like, yeah, that. You're like what? You're now saying that the Rolex Twenty Four race has kind of lost some of its value. Like I don't even know. Yeah, like I said, I think it's just FIA is gonna FIA. This is clearly they're pushing, trying to push folks towards um, WEC, which is interesting. I think given the fact that IMSA and WEC have strengthened their ties here with the fact that yeah, GTP and hypercar are basically the same thing. The fact that the GT class regs between the two series are basically the same now. So they are practically the same series as well. One hangs out in the US, the other one hangs out in Europe and comes to Sebring once a year. <laughs> um, I mean, pretty much. I don't think they're going to Sebring next year, though. I think that's might be done for simply because I, I don't know. 
they I don't I think it might be because IMSA is also there and they kinda don't want to play second fiddle to IMSA. They kinda want their own events. I'm not too sure, but I know that that's not on the schedule for next season. Yeah, which is a real shame. The super sebring the super sebring weekend was absolutely incredible. But yeah, it's like I said, it's weird to see the simultaneous unifications of the regs yet increasing tribalism between well mainly on the side of uh uh wec from the fia because truth be told i don't think emsa really cares one way or another if anything they've touted the um the increased uh the increasing uh homogenization of the two series it seems like the only one who has an issue here is the fia another thing was apparently i guess there was a rumor that checo was supposed to be leaving red bull at some point, I don't know if that was the rumor was like 2024 he's leaving or I don't really know. I just don't think that a Reddit post is necessarily the most credible source to go for something like that. I mean, get it's Reddit, but that's just it. It's Reddit. Like people make shit up all the time on the internet and it's like, what's stopping them from making this up? It's like, I feel like you probably should wait until there's like at least a little bit more traction with the rumor and honestly i mean it's not like it's a far-fetched rumor i guess but it's like uh i don't know again i i haven't heard any other like f1 journalists like speak about it necessarily so i don't really know yeah i mean so checo's contract runs through 25 2025 um so if you know if Red Bull is to be believed, then he will be keeping his seat and it will be up for renewal. Yes, you know, I think that rumor said that if he lost um, second place in the driver's hunt, then, you know, he was gone. Um, no ifs, ands, or buts. Which, granted, is not out of character for Red Bull. But, um, but yeah, it's, yeah, like you said, it's, it's, it's Reddit. You know, that post is the epitome of trust me i know so the source yeah. equals just trust me bro yeah exactly so yeah like i said no other journalists have picked up on it i mean there's the continual rumblings that Checo's on the hot seat but those have started practically since he went since he made the move to red bull so i don't put much stock in them yeah the next thing was the Indianapolis eight-hour race happened, like, I think it was a week ago it happened last weekend. Um, WRT won the race from their BMW GT car, and they changed their lineup for that race. Usually the lineup, I guess, that they have, the car number might have been different or something, but I think usually the lineup they have is Dries Vantor, Sheldon Vanderland, and then Charles Beertz. They replaced Charles Beards with Philip Ang, which I'm like, I talked about this like a few days ago. I'm like, nobody boo me or anything, but it might have been an upgrade, so to say, for replacing Charles Beards. Because honestly, I've let it slide for a little bit, but that man is not that great of a driver, I'm going to be honest. I mean, it's probably the reason why he's not being called up for BMW hypercar, and the other two are. But even at the race before that, Barcelona, he ended up binning the car, destroyed the back of it, um, and had to have it 
had to pit and have it fixed. Which I'm like, yeah, at this point, it might be your teammates carrying the score. I don't know. Yeah, I I'd largely share the paint the same uh, opinion. Uh, I don't have really much all that positive to say about uh, uh Virts. Uh, I mean, him basically getting shuffled out of the lineup. It's you know, you know. Oh no. Anyway, that's basically how I uh, how I feel. It's like okay, well let's 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 just keep it on keep on moving. Um, yeah, I know. I don't know. I mean say any word on sort of what he's been up to in the last couple of weeks if he's got anything inked um or even just he still just races like gt like so that's mainly what he does i think there was a gt race just like recently might have been at zanford i think that's where it was he was there yeah all right because i'm like you know hopefully you know he can you know keep himself busy but i mean he'll probably just stay in gt racing yeah, and he and the other two, his other two teammates, Dries and Sheldon, will move up to the hypercar. Yeah, that would be that would be neat. I wouldn't uh, wouldn't have any objections to that at all. But yeah, like I said, the fact that he got shuffled out of the lineup is I don't think is a great loss to anybody particularly. I mean, it wasn't because they won the race anyway. So it's yeah, exactly. Like, nothing of significance was lost apparently. The last topic for this little segment was a little thing I need to talk about, which is motorsports.com and some of their some of their content. I'm like, uh, recently I've been thinking, I'm like, maybe some of their content is kinda it kind of feel at least their content on Twitter. It feels kind of like engagement bait in a way, and it's kind of gotten more apparent with the implementation of like the blue check marks and people being able to cash in a check through the blue check marks on Twitter and um, having like basically the way that you get money from that is by getting people to engage with your posts, your content, which is why uh, now you will see a, a lot, a lot more of people basically rage farming and they will post things that purposely make people upset and rile them up that way they get that engagement usually it's not usually anything positive it's usually just like either some like them resorting to like you know low-hanging fruit like homophobia or racism something like that just in general not saying motorsports.com does any of that um but some of their Twitter content does seem kind of like feels like they're more just like trying to get engagement from people more so than actually like quality content. Um, I'm not gonna try to like accuse them of anything, so they aren't trying to send me like cease and desist letters in the mail or any type of thing like that. But I don't know because they did have a post one time where I'm like they were asking people who their favorite racing siblings were. And conveniently left out a bunch of other <laughs> racing siblings. And I'm like, okay, you're called motorsports.com. And you're telling me you didn't know that the Bush brothers exist, the Van Tour brothers exist, the Vanderlyn brothers exist. Like, come on. Like, I, it's hard to believe that. It's hard for me to believe that. Um, and obviously, it kind of succeeded because people did get angry with them me included 
and engage with the post. So, I mean, it kind of served its purpose, but I'm like, eh, like, I, I feel like they kind of did it on purpose now that I think about it. But I mean, they do write like articles and stuff and their articles aren't bad. It's nothing wrong with that. It's just like some of some of their posts. I'm like, eh, this may or may not be quality content. Yeah, I've like you said. I mean, there's you know the vast majority of what motorsport.com does is what I would class as being perfectly acceptable. It is by no means a particularly stunning uh, standard of journalism, in my opinion. However, I don't think that there is anything just objectively horrible that they put out. Um, my biggest issue is the way that I mean they paywall the absolute hell out of their stuff. Um, which is like, okay, if you're looking for click-through, then that doesn't help you, like, at all. But, you know, maybe they have, maybe whatever their model is works well enough. Um, and then the second thing is, is certainly with however much, you know, you know, blue is uh, $8, $12. It's like, and I know how poor ad, again, ad services, ad engagement is. It's like, okay, yeah, you pay that. It's like, but what kind of audience do you need to have to see any kind of return on that? Even if you are just rage farming, it's like you would need, it's like every tweet that at least you have marked out for ad revenue would basically need to be a viral tweet for you to make any kind of serviceable revenue off of that. So I, it's just, yes, yeah, like, okay, cool. You paid eight, pay $8, like I think it's 12 now. And you get, you know, 50 cents back. I just, I don't, that's so stupid, but I... Mean, I... the tweets that I see, at least, that I know for a fact people do it, that they are, they're rage farming, and again, it's usually, like, the homophobia, mm -hmm. the misogyny, the racism, like, it's, it's, it'll be somebody, you know, saying some bullshit about, like, uh, like, you know, all women are gold diggers, and all women are, like, hoes, or something like that, and, you know, it'll be... Again, blue check mark, and you'll see those types of posts will have like thousands of comments, thousands of quote tweets, and unfortunately, like thousands of likes too. It, it it's a mess now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know. T t yeah, Twitter will never publish what exactly the uh, you know revenue is, you know, and how it breaks down, you know, be it for certain types of engagements or what that. That model uh, at CPM will never be posted publicly, like anywhere. Um, but I would be, like I said, I'd be very curious to understand how that works, given from everything I have heard. Again, how poor, um, like I said, the uh, the effect of CPM is. But anyway, yeah, I just I don't get it. Um, yeah, I don't much care for motorsports. Um, their Twitter account, you know, certainly when they're just doing race updates, I mean, whatever, it's perfectly fine. I mean, it's race updates. You can't really screw that up, can you? But, but yeah, just the stuff where they attempt to get folks to engage. Yeah, it does. It feels kind of baity. Um, it does feel a bit like engagement bait um, at times. So I a lot of times they're very biased towards F1. Like they will mm -hmm. go, they will literally post like a lot of things that are, you can, clearly tell are very f1 centered and again it does get people kind of riled up due to the fact that they call themselves motorsports.com but then post heavily about f1 and f1 only and then it's like yeah 
Yeah, it is kind of funny because then like you've got, you know, the race and they pretty much are just and even by their own admission, they're heavily centered on F1. But in reality, you know, certainly the folks that run their on their Twitter account, it's a pretty varied types of you know posting um series of categories that they post about which is super fun um but yeah i do think that that uh that dichotomy i do think is kind of funny but yeah no their twitter account really isn't great um and well frankly be better <laughs> if i'm being perfectly honest but but whatever it's just one of those things where i've you know gotten to the point where i just i basically just ignore everything that they post i mean like, i'm glad at least they're not like essentially sports because they could be far worse they could be like yes. essentially sports yeah no i completely agree essentially sports is trash um yeah they just suck um you know motorsports isn't even half as bad as essentially sports is with i mean that's like i don't know what would you call essentially sports like the TMZ or like the Fox News of sports coverage? I don't. They're kind of like the the shade room. Of oh, that's stuff. even better. Yeah, that's great. Because <laughs> literally nothing they post is true. No. Nothing. And then they would like take people's like tweets because I've had a few of my tweets pop up in their articles. They will take people's like tweets and like completely like misconstrue them and take them out of like the context that they're in. It's like, ah, it drives me crazy. So I'm like, I remember I got like a notification that I had a tweet pop up in one of their articles and I'm like, and I read it and I'm like, I, I mean, it didn't, again, they kind of took the tweet out of context. They, and there was a bunch of other people's tweets that were put in the article too. And again, taken out of context, they kind of ignored the context that the tweets were in and kind of twisted them around and over-exaggerated, like really over-exaggerated it. Yeah, absolutely. That seems to be a real problem with them. Actually, it's funny. I think yeah. Um friend of the network, friend of the pod, uh, Sarah Davis, she was actually just tweeting about that recently, about how one of her tweets ended up in, a, in an essentially sports, one of their NASCAR articles, and she was very not happy about it. Um, yeah, no, they are. They're just, they're horrible. Uh, you know, that is, I mean, because I've had the mispleasure, especially as they get, as, um, they get brought up in, uh, you know, various sporting circles of uh, going to essentially sports and their website. And it's just, you know, that is just engagement farming. That is just anything to push, uh, basically to push click-throughs from other social media sites um to then get generate the ad revenue from the website um it's horrible um yeah it is it's just horrible it kind of reminds me of the way they're set up of the way like the tabloid websites were like a decade ago honestly i mean it, it, it's just again they're the shade room of sports at this point mm -hmm. it's, it's, and it doesn't seem like it'll get any better i think that's that is their brand. They're standing on it ten toes down, and they are not going to change that anytime soon. Yeah, <laughs> until they get um, get Gawker mediated, uh, potentially they get sued out of existence eventually. But one could only hope. I mean, but, I'll pray on their downfall. Oh, at me too. But I guess uh, anything else uh, we want to cover? I guess open mic time before we uh, close the episode out. 
And I guess there was like a few like random extra topics. Uh, there was apparently some drama with Roman Grosjean and his <laughs> contract with Andretti. I there's a lot of like fancy wording, like like law wording, like arbitration. I'm like I truthfully don't know what that means because that's out of my out of my expertise. I don't really know anything about that. But it seems like what it's basically is like he signed off on the contract, but Michael Andretti didn't. And there's again. They're in court once again. IndyCar drivers are in court. So, what's new? Yeah, I, oh my God, it's it's like um, you know, everybody was like, well, surely we can't have you know a bit of season, a silly season that's sillier than Alex Pillow v. McLaren, right? And then IndyCar was like, you know, I'll fucking do it again. That was basically what um, what has gone on here, and except this with Roman this time. And yeah, from what I understand, it sounds like, you know, at the beginning of the season, because Roman was actually pretty strong to start the year, it sounds like there may have been a little bit of preliminary contract discussions, um, so much so that it sounds like Michael may have approached him about returning for another year. Um even, like I said, with some, like I said, it sounds like there was some sort of preliminary sort of terms of a new deal. And it sounds like Roman was all good and may have even, but he is alleging that he signed something that was, again, preliminary, so certainly nothing final. Um, but then, um, especially after the year completely went off the uh, tracks and then uh, Roman very thoroughly soured sort of his reputation even just within the team um basically he never got uh basically a formal extension and now that the year has shaken out and uh andretti hates him basically <laughs> now he is basically i guess he's it sounds like he's trying to sue for money owed because I can't imagine that he wants to, or money that he feels like he is owed. I guess I should clarify that. I mean, Roman surely doesn't want to go back to the team and Andretti sure doesn't want him, especially not now. So I can't imagine that he's suing to stay on the team. Cause it sounds no. like he's happy. with. I, I think that confirms that he's leaving Andretti. Cause I think mm -hmm. it, the statement that he did release, it did say like at the end of it that he would go chase his indie car endeavors elsewhere in other teams so it's yeah i think it's pretty much set in stone that he's not going back to andretti yeah but this like the then of course the funny thing is that there's really i mean we've talked about this already with the way silly season is shaken out it's basically ecr or dale coin there's nowhere else really for him to go and once again you know, given that he is not locked down, of course, the difference with Pelo is that he was effectively already, or he chose to renew at Ganassi versus McLaren, so he's got a seat. But to sit here and initiate legal action while you effectively don't have a drive, it's like, that's not going to help your chances at getting another seat in IndyCar, which is what he says that's what he wants. So I, I don't know, but I smell a full-time uh, Lamborghini hypercar drive next year. I mean, it's it's highly possible that ends up happening because I mean that was one of some of my speculation 
like uh, like a while ago through somewhat through the IndyCar season. I'm like, damn, this man's season has been horrible. What team's gonna want this dude? Like, he seems like damaged goods at this point. It's harsh as that sounds, but it's like I don't know who would sign him. Yeah, I I completely agree. I agree then, and certainly more so now, given that he's initiating uh, legal action. Like I said, I don't know who's gonna, I don't know who take him. So yeah, he'll probably end up running around in Lamborghini until he inevitably sours his relationship at that team too, and then uh, he's uh, out of racing ostensibly. <laughs> I mean, I know that like he, I don't know. Apparently, there was like some speculation, I guess, that he was gonna do like the test with Mercedes and F1 but I'm like for one I can only find like one source like talking about that so I don't really know how true it is and then it's like I thought that ship had sailed years ago so I'm like as soon as like Mercedes announced it I think I think that's when COVID happened and it kind of got all like messed up and I was like I thought for sure that dude was never gonna get that test it was just like yeah it would be very far-fetched it's, it's it's a dream at this point like the mercedes test for roman Grosjean is not happening but i don't know i guess maybe it could happen i don't really know what the point of testing him though now would be i don't really think it would serve any type of purpose i don't think it would benefit mercedes that much i mean it's not like they're gonna like look at him as a replacement uh for lewis or anything like that mm -hmm. so i don't know yeah i was just about to say he's yeah, there's there's no point. I mean, I guess the only context in which a test for Mercedes makes sense is that, you know, <clears throat> for all of certainly, at least, his, you know, perceived to me false, you know, Toto does seem to be a man of his word. Um, and so this could a test uh, Mercedes test session could, yes, be honoring what they had planned, you know, before the pandemic. Um, but that's really, honestly, that's it. That's the only context in which that makes sense because it certainly wouldn't be, I, no reason for it to be in a reserve role of any capacity because they've got that box ticked with Mick Schumacher right now. It wouldn't be to amend their current driver lineup. You know, Russell is, you know, he's fast. I mean, he occasionally does silly things, but he's fast and has a long and I think very bright future ahead of him. Uh, with Mercedes and Formula One, and it would be really dumb if to try and replace Lewis. It's like you get basically older and uh, worse driver as a like a Lewis replacement. That is such a categoric downgrade that it wouldn't make sense. So, yeah, I just that's just pie in the sky type stuff right there. It really is. The last thing was this week, the IndyCar rookies had their rookie orientation program at IMS, and all of them passed it. So yay for them. Round of applause. Yeah, congrats. It'd been really funny if somebody hadn't have. I, was I mean, I don't think anybody has not passed it. I don't know. I don't Either think way, if... If Stingray Rob of all IndyCar rookies could pass it this year, no, the rest, the current IndyCar rookie class for 2024 should not have any issues. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, okay, that's probably fair. Um, yeah, I was thinking, especially the test at IMS, it would have been 
hilarious and this is for no other reason than being moderately vindictive it i was kind of hoping that for some reason maybe kyle larson didn't pass but that was more just for the absolute just trash fire that would ensue on twitter above all else that's really it <laughs> but but yeah no you're absolutely right yeah if singer rob can do it then well you or i could probably do it um but actually looking at the list one more thing and this is just because it's hilarious Aston Martin hypercar, first it was off, now it's back on. Does Aston Martin know what they're doing? No, probably not. But am I, mean, I here? Did, did, we could say the same thing for Van Wall and Glickenhaus. Did they know what they were doing? Hell no, especially not Glickenhaus, considering the fact that they dropped out of the World Endurance Championship halfway through the season. I mean, they made it past Le Mans, and I think maybe Monza, hell, I don't, I don't think they were at Monza, actually, but they were at Le Mans, and that was like, that was it. That was the last we saw of them. They just disappeared into the the, the mist, the fog. So truthfully, uh, the the bar is kind of low for hypercar entries, at least new hypercars. It's like all you gotta do be better than Van Wall and Glickenhaus. Great box checked off. We're great. Already off to a good start. Yeah, and to be fair, I think Aston Martin can manage that. So I mean, a couple of things. I mean, there are lots of they details. Should. A lot of details to be announced and quite how this is going to work. You know, is this going to be a full, proper factory entry? Are they going to, you know, pull, are they going to run and, you know, pull some, you know, basically some partners in from somewhere? Uh, Aston Martin at the best of times is never on particularly steady ground financially. And that does concern me a little bit about a, uh, a hypercar entry. But, you know, of course, there's only one way to find out. Um, and here's the other thing. We have a year of, you know, hypercar, GTP, LMDH, call it what you may. And Aston Martin is effectively starting on year two. So everybody who got, who hit the ground running has had a full season, will have had a full season to refine their programs, basically figure out what works, what doesn't, what needs to be tweaked. Um, and Aston Martin is coming in cold. And I don't think that's going to help them. Um, I mean, honestly, like, it's kind of the same thing with Pojo, because Pojo technically had a head start of the whole hypercar field, because they yeah. started out last year in 2022 at the end of the, the 2022 season, and it didn't really work out too well for them. They had a few stumbles. Um, yeah, I think part of that is due to them rather stubbornly sticking to the current, basically the current aerodynamic philosophy of you know, no wings, just vibes, which I, well, I think the car looks great and I enjoy the pluckiness. That I mean, that was worked. very unique, but I mm -hmm. think they, they did announce that they're going to add a rear wing to it. So it'll look different next season, which I'm like, yeah, yeah I respect trying it though. Yeah. But again, it was never going to work. Yeah, indeed. It was, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the walrus nosed Williams of the mid aughts or the zero side pod Mercedes of uh, the last year and a half cool concepts you know innovative ones cool to see you know them try that but it was um well there was a reason why nobody else did it or if they tried something similar hmm, part of me is why they didn't stick to it just because they like i said they're just concepts that don't work you know so yeah like i said it was cool to certainly see them try wingless but i think sticking with that for you know a year and a bit was the, the wrong choice um, 
But yeah, we'll see what happens with Aston Martin. But it's just, and this is a, coming from somebody who has spent the majority of their life on the um, the road car section of these manufacturers. This is truly emblematic of, I think, the turmoil that is currently going on within really kind of upper to up middle to kind of upper management through to the top with Aston Martin and some of the just the discord even within kind of uh you know board members and the fact that they don't seem to really know what direction they want the company to go in I mean I'm wondering who their drivers were before that because I know like Lance Stroll I think it was that's been uh, Nick's that he's not in consideration for being on the hypercar lineup. So I'm like, I don't know who else. I mean, Alonzo, maybe. I don't really know. He is getting kind of up there in age, but <laughs> yeah, he's he's getting old, but he's he's clearly still got it. Um, that man, at least from an ability perspective, is seems to be ageless. So, you know, I certainly say, you know, as long as his, you know, body lets them take every last W you can get. Um, you know, truth be told, Lance really should drive the hypercar. He's the kid's not Formula One material. He's just not. He seems like he's nice enough. Um, he seems like he's a good enough guy, but you know, admittedly, histrionics at Qatar aside, I'm not quite sure what his malfunction was this uh, past uh, Grand Prix weekend. But, but um, yeah, it's like go go run the hypercars. It's just. It's like the only reason he's got that seat in the Formula One team is because his daddy owns, well, effectively is the sole proprietor of Aston Martin at the moment. I mean, it's funny, too, because I think he tested it. Like, he did some testing with it, but I guess, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see what happens. There are lots of question marks uh, surrounding this, but I just think it is hilarious that they called off the whole hypercar program initially and then went, eh, never mind, actually, we'll we'll join. And I do love that it has been met with nothing but um, congratulatory responses from all of the other OEs and hypercars right now with all of the nonsense with Andretti, the FIA, and the Formula One. That is actually a real breath of fresh air that everybody is like, hey, come party, come hang. I think that's great. It's just wholesome. The only people I think should still to do hypercar was Audi, which that ship has kind of sailed because they scrapped that a long time ago for F1 and Mercedes. Yeah, agreed. I would love. Yeah, it bummed me out so much when Audi scrapped the hypercar program. I was looking forward to. Hell, it bummed everybody out. Yeah, I was looking forward to like R8 2, basically. But yeah, when they decided... Audi essentially got rid of everything. Like, they got rid of the hypercar. They are getting rid of their GT program. Mm -hmm. Yep, because... They're essentially liquidating everything. Yeah, they're putting all that money into uh, basically buying up the Sauber team and then getting uh, on the ground for uh, 2026 uh, with the engine program, uh, power unit program. Yeah, yeah, because the hypercar program is dead. The, the GT program is ending when the R8 dies uh, at the end of the current model year, actually. Uh, end, of 20, end of the 2024 model year is when the R8 dies, so that's when the GT program is going to go. Um, yeah, so it's kind of a bummer that Audi is backing out of everything, especially given that they've been such mainstays, but... Yeah, I hope it's worth it, because they'll look real dumb if the Formula One program uh, goes to shit. 
and then all of the other scenes absolute scenes oh yeah every well frankly a i'm just gonna point and laugh a lot if that's what happens but but um yeah we'll so now we'll see what happens with aston and you know maybe we can entice a few more manufacturers to to join um i i would love it certainly um because a big grid is well, a bigger grid is always a better grid. So, well, we'll see. But anything uh, you got? Anything else for us before we uh, close out the episode? I don't think so. Yeah, that's about uh, that's about it. So, say um, we will. I guess we'll see you next time. Um, figure what we'll probably do a. Um, uh, a proper IMSA, IMSA season recap or something. Yeah, that's what I was saying. We'll probably do an IMSA season review and then kind of as more as, you know, more tea gets spilled throughout silly seasons. And, you know, given the fact that we have two legal battles cooking in uh, IndyCar at the moment, you know, we'll come up with something for you. So, as always, it thank you so very much for listening. Um, always a pleasure sitting down to do these and we will catch you next time until next time y'all peace